Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. We were able to capture some fingerprints, but again, same as the DNA, we haven't been able to, to match that to anybody. He's probably one of the biggest considered open-hearted people that I knew, but you know, honestly, he had uh, an addiction too, right? Just the writing, we can talk. There's a possibility here that there were childhood traumas. We're trying to turn every stone to, to find evidence. This is Genevieve Germain, host of True Crime Real Time. Join me on a bi-weekly dive into the lives of the missing and murdered. Available wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll never know who else you'll meet along the way. mystery solvers it's perhaps it's you an unofficial unsolved mysteries rewatch podcast i'm liz i'm samantha and i'm in a mood i'm a lot less sick than i was in our last episode you might be able to tell that samantha's voice but maybe you miss her sexy deep <laughs> sick voice maybe i probably will still cough a few times in this episode that the cough is lingering as it does Ugh. but i'm Summer on, cold. on the mend god damn i know what a curse it is do we have any updates um, I got jack shit. I got big no, zero for updates. I don't think I don't think I have anything. I'm in a, I'm just in a state surprise surprise. Like everything annoys me. <laughs> I have no patience today. Yeah, I we all have those days. It seems like they're more frequent recently. <laughs> Not sure why, but might be something astrological. I don't I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I had a day at work the other day where everyone that came in was so rude and pushy. Which, this is Minnesota, so that doesn't usually happen. And I was just like, what is going on? You Yeah, we always have one or, or two of those. Today, at work, I asked my boss's son, who's about to enter the fourth grade, do you believe in ghosts? Which is just me making small talk, right? <laughs> and this kid super seriously goes, well, yes, because Einstein proved that energy cannot be destroyed. Wow. <laughs> I know. And I was kind of like... That's a solid theory. Holy shit. Did, yeah. Did, did this fourth grader just prove the ghosts are real? I think so. Wow. So there's something to think about, that that kid is smarter than you. <laughs> I feel like every fourth grader is smarter than me. It's an interesting age. It's like, some of the time, yeah, because also they're learning all this stuff in school. Their brain oh, yeah. is working so fast, And right? they're watching all the YouTube videos. They just, and... like, know fucking everything. But then also, so, so sometimes it's like, you're like, oh, that was very profound child and then sometimes you're like oh right you're just a little child i have a uh second cousin i guess it's my cousin's kid that is around that age and he i was leaving a family event saying goodbye to everybody and he declares very loudly that i need to make sure that i give my dogs flea and tick prevention because ticks or because fleas carry the bubonic plague oh and so i was like you're right good point <laughs> that's <Yeah>. very important <laughs> I don't want the plague. I don't want the plague. And my dogs. So, so it was wise wisdom from children <laughs> everywhere. Like, wow. All right. We're here to talk about, this is season four. What is it? Episode nine? Episode nine. Season okay. four. This one's pretty decent. Let me it's pull right. my information Sorry on Sorry I just made so much noise. My first one. I want to say before we even get started, <laughs> I'm not responsible for this mystery. You might be watching this going, Liz... Did you send these pipe bombs? <laughs> but no, I was a small child at this time, and I was not so smart that I was proving ghosts exist, so God, it wasn't me. 
Uh, okay so this mystery is a wanted that's literally my first no i am not responsible for this bombing (laughs) because you might think i was this is the televan the mystery of the televangelist bomber yeah so as you might guess this is someone who sent bombs to televangelists not a televangelist who was bombing people no that Mm -mm. maybe we would have i've never heard of this before i never knew this was a thing uh as we said we are not responsible for this i don't want anyone to get blown up by a bomb uh i I have opinions about televangelists but i don't want them to be bombed i think Uh, we've established that making bombs is hard and also i don't know how to do it yeah i could never figure i'm sure there's math involved especially to like get one to go off at like the right time that seems extremely difficult i'm very sure i would blow myself i would yeah exactly i would blow up my whole house probably my whole neighborhood there's this was not me there's no way okay so televangelist pat robertson his daily broadcast over cbn the christian broadcasting network are seen in nearly a million households nationwide i'm not wishing him bombed but it is a bummer that he's still alive I wouldn't wish him to be bombed, but, like, what if he got bed bugs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, that and, like, a really horrible, like, foot fungus. Yeah. And something that prevented him from talking His also. toenails fell off, and then he could just never speak again. he's a really terrible person. Yeah. Uh, so I do sort of understand what motivated this bomber. Sure, I understand disliking Pat Robertson. Absolutely. So, Robert Stack keeps calling his opinions uh, controversial. In the mystery, we see him standing in front of a whiteboard, like with, I don't know, divorce equals bad written on it or something. (laughs) I'm not really sure. He got that from the Bible, everyone. Yeah, he actually tells us in the the recording that, that God hates divorce, which I never read that in the Bible, but maybe... Uh, I'm sure God has other things to worry about. Just, like, the whole universe. No. Your divorce. Your... He's very concerned about it. It's very, like... He hates it. Self-centered, in a way. To think God gives a shit about divorce. Oh, yeah. About your divorce. Or someone's divorce. divorce. Like, in the whole, like, workings of the cosmos, he was like, I don't know, you entered a legal legal contract. Like... (laughs) No. <laughs> Must stay together. Robertson's broadcasts originate from his headquarters in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Each day, thousands of letters and packages arrive at the CBN mailroom. Most of them are donations from viewers, but on April 27, 1990, Scott Sheepers, a CBN security guard, was called to the mailroom to check a package addressed to Pat Robertson. He's quoted as saying, when I looked at the package on the monitor of the x-ray machine, I didn't see anything that led me to believe there was a problem or it was very suspicious. So apparently they get so much hate mail that every piece of mail needs to be screened uh, before it arrives. They have an x-ray machine at their headquarters and this poor man, uh, Sheeple's. It was his job to it was his job look into to, suspicious packages. Yeah, look at it. Do you Sheepers. think we need to start x-raying all of our mail? Mm, you know, we've gotten a few strange things, but they've all been in good... You know, we've never gotten any hate mail. No, we haven't. anything like that. You know, and the worst thing we've received is that, that one-star review or whatever when you uh, declared you wouldn't <laughs> salute the flag. But you know what? I've kept up not saluting it. But that was digital. You know, you can't screen for that. So I don't know. Mm, yeah. Um, I think we're. I, and we're I such. I would hate to, like, I don't put people off from sending us 
gummy snakes. Or... I was going to say, we're such suckers. If you send us food, we just eat it. That's true. So That's true. If I got a package of gummy snakes, I would open it and Even if shovel the them into my mouth like, right now. a little now. bit opened, we would be like, this is fine. <laughs> Obviously, it got jostled in the mail. Yeah, these cookies are so good. Are we telling people how to murder us right now? Maybe. They already knew. That's true. <laughs> It's not that was not a secret it's food everyone that's how you murder us done so sheepers were made on guard and decided to check the contents of the package he was baffled by several strips of newspaper sticking out of the box he says i was still somewhat skeptical about it so i stepped away from the box as far as i could to and took my left hand and extended it out grabbing the lid of the box i feel bad for this dude he Clearly had a bad feeling about it, mm-hmm. but he didn't want to like make it a thing if there if there was nothing actually wrong. Right, if it was just some like cookies or yeah, some grandma didn't want to like call the bomb squad or whatever the hell right. you're supposed so to do. So he's standing as far away as he can and like very carefully opening he's like, the if, lid. Yeah, if we open this up and it's just you know some Bibles, <coughs> I'm gonna look like an idiot. So as Scott o- carefully opened the box, he was suddenly thrown to the floor by an explosion. The reenactment of this is quality. It is quality. Very well done. Although I think Scott plays himself in the reenactment, and he's not the best actor. Okay, that part is not great. The, like, (laughs) explosion part, and then the ATF coming in, I thought, looked really good. Yes. So he says, I had a severe pain in the upper part of my left leg and abdomen over to my right leg. I made the determination that this is it. You know, I either lay here and possibly die, or I get up and go find help. So that's when I made the determination to help myself and pick myself up off the floor and try to get to the front of the building. When I say he's not a good actor, him reenacting this is like, he has this baffled look on his face, and he's just like confused about what's going on, and he's covered in blood. Yeah, it's probably not the face you'd be making. It kind of reminds me how Mark Wahlberg only has two expressions. <laughs> like, he can look surprised, or he can look determined, and that's it. Those are the only two he has. This guy, I think, has, like, blank and, like, yeah, confused. confused. Those are his only two. Yeah. Scott Sheepers was rushed to a nearby hospital where he underwent emergency surgery to remove shrapnel embedded in his leg. Ugh. Authorities determined that the package contained a homemade pipe bomb. They quickly linked the bomb to an earlier attack aimed at another televangelist, Pastor John Osteen, who I think is the father of Joel Osteen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. In 1960, Pastor Osteen founded the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. The church was one of the largest in America and seated more than 8,000 worshipers. Like Robertson, Pastor Osteen used television to spread the gospel, and he was also the target of a similar mail bomb. On January 30th, 1990, three months before the CBN bombing, John Osteen's daughter, Lisa Kynes, sure, arrived at her office to open the day's mail. See, they didn't actually directly ask for donations on the air, so they got a lot less mail than Pat Robertson, mm-hmm. and they did not have this, like, security set up. Yeah, it was just his kids going, you Yeah, know, it was their they, job to get the mail. They were not getting it. thousands of letters every day. Right. So, she says, I felt like it was safe to open the package because I open a lot of packages. We've never had any problems, and this looked like an ordinary package. It had a label addressed to my dad, typewritten to my dad, and then it had a return address... She says, you're not really suspicious of things like that. It was just a cardboard box. It had one piece of tape on it. I opened the box when I was sitting down, and the next thing I remember was standing about five feet away from the chair, and I was very shaken as if I had had an electric shock. 
Um, so yeah, so she's sitting down. The notable thing about the box, the only notable thing was that it had the word burgundy, like, written sharpie on the it's side. It's like a, a box used for shipping candles. Yeah. So that's the only thing that they could really determine from it. Um, Lisa had been the victim of a pipe bomb wrapped in newspaper. She suffered third degree burns and cuts on her right leg and abdomen, but she recovered quickly and just four weeks later returned to the pulpit. When she's in the, I realize this is what, a couple of years later when they actually make the episode, mm-hmm. she looks fine. Yeah. I would not have, you, there's no indication that, that she was wounded by a bomb. Yeah, she recovered she seems fully. She recovered. And she has this gigantic, like, televangelist-type crimped hair. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Humongous. And then the reenactment of her opening the package, has, she has these, like, long press-on nails. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty great, too. Yeah. Uh, do-do-do. That's obviously what I took important notes on. The nails. The perms. The perms. Um, yeah. The fact that that possibly this box belonged to someone in a multi-level marketing candle scheme. Interesting. Interesting. There used to be one called Candlelight. I don't know if that still exists, huh. but... Well, now it's all scentsy. Yeah. So maybe be suspicious of those mm. scentsy dealers. I don't know. Uh, according to Kenneth Weaver, chief postal inspector of the Eastern region, the box used in both bombings was the type used by candle distributors. A composite sketch depicted the man who was seen mailing the bombs. He just, he, he's described as neatly dressed white male with brown hair. He has average build and weighs between 160 and 175 pounds. Both bombs were mailed from within 25 miles of Fayetteville, North Carolina, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service is offering a re- reward of up to $50,000 in the case. And there's not, this was never solved. Um, there's a little bit more information on Unsolved Wiki. So at the time of the bombings, investigation, investigators speculated that the case might be linked to the murders of Judge Robert Smith Vance and civil rights attorney Robert Robertson. Oh. Robinson, I'm sorry. Interesting. Who were both killed with similar bombs. Walter yeah. Moody was later arrested and convicted for the murders of Vance and Robinson. However, he was never conclusively linked to the televangelist bombings. More recently, some have suggested that Olympic Park bomber Eric Rudolph may have been responsible for the bombings. I don't know about that. Interestingly, he matches the description of the bomber and lived in North Carolina around the time hmm. the bombs were sent. The bombs he used in the 1996 bo- attacks were similar in design to the televangelist bombs. Also, he was apparently against materialism and born-again Christians. However, he has never been officially connected to these bombings either. And if you Google this case, all you really find is the Unsolved Mysteries stuff. Like, this is not something that people have talked about. And I, this is the first time I've ever even heard of the television. People were like, someone wants to bomb Pat Robertson? Okay. Fine. I thought it was interesting that both of the people who are actually hurt by the bombings, which are not the televangelists, and if you think about it, obviously wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. They're not opening their own mail, bombers. Think about it. But both of those people were very sympathetic. And they they were like, I hope the bomber gets help. Yeah, it because was Because eventually he's going to kill someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. They both were, like, very level-headed about it, and they were not, like, demanding an eye for an eye or something. They were just like, I hope this person gets caught before Mm -hmm. someone else gets hurt, and they clearly need help, and... Sending things through the mail to hurt people is sort of baffling because most of the time, who the, it's postal workers that are injured. It's whoever is opening. The, yeah, famous people, people, important people, powerful people aren't opening their own mail. It's going to be an intern in a mailroom somewhere. Yeah, that gets the anthrax, right? Like it's not. Think about your crimes, people. <laughs> think it through. Think it through. 
So Does Pat Robertson have time to open his own mail? Obviously no. not. So he's too busy. Not that I'm trying to give people advice on how to commit. No, I am. How to hurt people, but <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's really the point. Is that it's only going to hurt innocent people, just bystanders. Yeah. And you know this security guy just worked there. I don't know that he really had anything to do with the operation. It's right. Just a job. It was him. his job to stand at an arm's length away from a suspicious package and carefully open it. Which if it if he hadn't been at an arm's length. He, they said that he could have easily died. Yeah, if his wound was in his chest instead of in his leg, he would be. Yeah, the he doctor said he dead, probably so. wouldn't have even made it out of the room. Um. So, yeah, so I don't even know what else to say. It's I interesting that they were never caught. I'm sure this was taken very seriously. I feel like crime, federal crimes that do involve the male are usually taken pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that there's not a lot of information about this it's weird that this isn't talked about more if you google the case you'll get the unsolved mysteries you get one reddit thread and then you get like recent news stories about people being mad the televangelists are buying private jets yeah so i couldn't really find any more information what's except for people speculating on reddit so who knows Mm. who it was maybe it was eric rudolph practicing or i don't know look it wasn't me and wasn't me either despite perhaps it's you is going to come out with a bold stance we are against mail bombings and letter bombings <laughs> it's very bold we're very we're against nazis we've said it before i know i know that's shocking but we're willing to say it and we're also saying try not to kill people by sending bombs through the mail which since it's very complicated it should be easy to not do it should be yeah try not to try not to control yourself as tempting as that is <laughs> put your pipe bomb supplies away and go do something else please yeah join a book club take up knitting I yeah don't know. there's there's got to be something else you can there's other hobbies for you repair old radios mm-hmm. i don't know collect model trains yeah put those skills to use something a little more productive mm-hmm. and a little less gonna get someone hurt in a mail room yeah. Those people want their fingers. Yeah. They yeah. need their fingers to do their jobs. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. Mail. Don't be a jerk, murderers. Don't, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of this episode. Don't be a jerk, murderers. <laughs> okay. Um, We have a lost love now. Trigger warning um, in this lost love. Strong trigger warning in this one. It's not as wholesome as you want a lost love to be. It does have a happy ending, but it's got a brutal beginning. It does. However, this is one of my favorite lost loves, I think. It's, I really it's cool. like this one. Okay, so we're... Picture yourself. It's the 1960s. You're on Chicago's south side. Chicago continues to be a very segregated city. This is the black part of the city. This is the part of the city that the city ignores. All right? So this is the story of... Uh, Kathy Williams. And before we get to her, Robert Stack says, We've all met people who have made a lasting impression on us. Sometimes they are total strangers that pass through our lives without ever knowing they've made a difference. A lasting impression is seems like a... It's kind of underscored. This yeah, person basically saved her it. life. But still, it's nice to think about that maybe you've made a huge difference in someone's life and you, you don't, don't even, even know. know it. Which I like that. Maybe you're just doing your job and then you don't even realize that. Maybe you're just not an asshole when someone really needs that and it turns everything around. Uh So this is a pretty cool story. Okay, so Kathy at this time is 14 and is being sexually abused by her stepfather. And the scene that we get is like he forces her to drink alcohol to get drunk. And like a party. No one else 
stepped in or did anything. I wasn't clear, like, how many people were there or what Based exactly on happened. the number of beer bottles, like, laying around all over this apartment. And then Robert's back saying it was a party. It's very disturbing. There's definitely a few people there. A few adults. But she wakes up. She's naked. And her stepfather is basically naked on top of her. And she doesn't really remember what happened. Mm-hmm. It's extremely disturbing. So she tries to run away and, like, leaves a note to her family. She also had two younger sisters. We don't really hear where her mom is in this. Um, I'm not sure she's still around. So, unfortunately, her stepfather found her almost immediately. He beat her, and he locked her in a small room for a week at the house of a relative. Yeah. Because the problem is that her stepfather is a respected detective in the ever-corrupt Chicago Police Department. Huh. So, it's hard for her to get help. And Robert Stack refers to this as a horrible but all-too-familiar tragedy. How familiar? I don't... This. I hope not, but maybe it, it just makes me want to cry my eyes out. 14-year-olds being abused and locked in rooms. All too familiar. All too familiar I got to it. Robert Sack. I hope not. Um, so she couldn't exactly just go to the police and report what was happening. But she knows, even as a 14-year-old. Yeah, she's, she's like, like what am I My gonna- father's a bigwig. He's super respected. This isn't going to work. So she comes up with a plan, which I think is smart, mm-hmm. where she's going to pretend she has amnesia. She's been watching Unsolved Mysteries. She's, she thinks she's, she's got to figure it she out. She knows it's a plague on our society. Tons of people have amnesia. She goes to the police station and she's like, oh, I don't know where who I am. I don't know where I live. Because she's hoping they'll place her literally anywhere else. Mm-hmm. She does not care where she ends up, so long as it's not at home with her stepfather. But in talking to the police, they're saying things like, if there's something going on at home, if you have any siblings, you don't want to leave your siblings in that situation too. And she had two younger sisters, and it hadn't occurred to her that she needed to get them out of harm's way as well. So at this point, she cracks. She admits that she knows her name. She admits that her stepfather's abusing her and that she's just trying to get out of the house. And at first, the cops are very sympathetic. They already say they're going to help her, blah, blah, blah. But by the time they find out who her father is, and her father comes down to the police department to get her, when they inform her stepfather, like, oh, she doesn't want to go with you, he has her, like, considered a delinquent. Yeah, incorrigible is apparently a legal term that That teenagers can be charged with a crime, essentially? So, so Just, like, basically not listening to your parents is punishable by, yeah, getting thrown in juvenile detention right so instead of being listed as a jane doe and being placed into foster care which is what she was hoping she's locked up in the county jail with just the general population for a night Mm -hmm. because she's quote-unquote incorrigible um and then is going to be sent to a home for like delinquent minors she has to go to like there's a trial. There's, there's like a, a family, family court, court trial, and she, a lot of people from the community, her friends, and like other community members, show up and want to testify on her behalf. They know what's been going on, or at least they believe her, and they want to testify. Like, no, this kid is is not a bad kid. Whatever the hell that means, it's the it's the stepfather. However, because the stepfather has so much clout, they're not allowed in the mm-hmm. courtroom. And also her file, which had affidavits testifying to the abuse and validating her story, that file is conveniently lost. Yeah. 
So the only side the judge gets is from the stepfather who says she's out all night, she's doing drugs, she barely comes home, she's doing underage sex work, like from what we he's completely lost control over her. I don't even see her getting an opportunity to I don't even think she gets to to speak speak or even say anything. I don't think she doesn't have a social worker. I don't think anyone is representing her at that trial, and I don't think the judge asks her any questions. I think literally, at least the way they show it in the reenactment, this stepfather and his lawyer go up to the bench, tell the judge, like, yeah, my daughter is out of control. You gotta lock her up. And the judge is like, okay. Yep. Gavel. Done. That's it. Send her away. Send her away. So she's sent to the Illinois State Training School for Girls, which apparently was a thing. Sounds horrific. And the sentence was until she turned 18. And she says, I didn't know I could feel that kind of pain. So horrible. That, like, basically her life had gotten so low that she kept thinking, (laughs) well, at least it can't get any worse. And then it would fucking get worse. Mm -hmm. And then she'd be like, oh, I had no idea I could hurt this much. Because this is like a new basement yep. on the pain I had already re- experienced. Okay. This is when things start to turn around. Glad you held in. So <laughs> Thanks on, for sticking with on us. On the ride to reform school, at least in the reenactment, she's in the back of a car with two other girls. Kathy is sobbing because she realizes that she's not going to get to see her friends and sisters. She had a community that was extremely supportive, but they their hands were tied by a corrupt system. Yeah. So they're like pleading like where are you taking her she realizes that she doesn't know where she's going they don't know where she's going in order to contact her and she's being like ripped away from the only people who care about her so she's sobbing in the back of this car the other two girls who i guess i don't know are delinquents whatever the fuck that means (laughs) skipped school too many times they're saying does this girl look like a troublemaker to you yep and she's like just sobbing and sobbing, and eventually, as the deputy is driving them to the reform school, tells her whole story. Like, no, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. Fortunately, this deputy actually listens to her, and when he drops her off, says, look, I don't know what it is, but I believe you, and I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of at the risk of his own job. I'm oh, sure, for sure. I'm sure that's not what he's supposed to do. I'm sure he's not supposed to care. Yeah, it is not his job to look into whether these people, they've been quote unquote sentenced. I'm not really sure yeah. what this, fu- what the fuck this even is, but they, she went through some sort of court. She was, a judge decided she's guilty and she was sentenced to go to reform school. It is not this guy who's just driving them there. It's not his job to question, to question judges. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like, it sounds like you got railroaded. I'm going to look into this for you. Like hang in there. And so he gets her an interview with a social worker a few weeks later. It sounded like he actually also got in touch with her fam, like her yes. friends and and the people in her community because they're trying to figure out how to what to do. Because I don't even think they knew where she was. No. So he he gets a number from Kathy. Like who should I call? And it's who knows, right? Someone she trusts. And so by talking to to her friends and loved ones, is able to set up with this appointment with a social worker. He, like, gets them the right people to talk to mm-hmm. so that they can actually, like, do something. Because I'm sure they are like, 
what the fuck are we supposed to do? They don't know, they don't know where I, she's gone. They don't know what options are available right. to them. A judge has declared this. Like, what are you supposed to do now? So she gets an interview with a social worker. He actually gets her full file. He talks to the people that wanted to testify at the trial but weren't allowed to. And he's like, yeah, it looks like you got a really bad deal. This is not justice. You know, I'm going to see what I can do. And two weeks later, she is released. Mm-hmm. And emancipated. She's emancipated as a minor, and she is allowed to go live with friends in her old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Who she considers her true par- her true parents. Yeah, right. Like, obviously, she doesn't want to go back to living with her stepfather. It sounds like, we don't know exactly, but it sounds like her family... At least some members of her family were somewhat complicit. Someone has the the place where she was locked up for a week. Yeah. So I don't know that she could go live with someone who's actually related to her. But she had people in her neighborhood that she could go live with. And she goes and lives with them. Mm -hmm. And she refers to this deputy. She doesn't know his name. But she refers to him as her knight in a paddy wagon. (laughs) I love her. Yeah, she's really cool. And she is right in thinking that her life could have gone in a very different direction Mm -hmm. if he hadn't believed her. And nobody even was interested in listening to her or her side of the story. She was 14 at this time and was going to stay in that reform school until she was 18. Yeah. And so she feels like she owes this person her her life and like the way that her life turned out. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to um, have a son and they show a picture of her her son, and her son's really hot. Extremely. So that's important, too. <laughs> Gotta mention that. Gotta mention that. And then, so the update is, he was watching the broadcast. Yes! His name was Fred, I think. You know, I didn't write that down. He was, yeah, he was... I was just so happy that, that you don't get to see the reunion. They, Which, they, that's the only thing I would change about this. <laughs> This segment was if we could see the reunion. Maybe they wanted it to, you know, be Probably. private, Probably. a private matter. But but she did get to reunite she, with him and thank him. Yes, because how, how cool for that guy. Amazing. Who, you know, really put himself out there to help this girl and could have gotten fired uh-huh. and was really to risk that to do what was right. And it worked out. And so... This is really a heartwarming story. He got the, you know, the thanks, the pat on the back that he deserved. Mm-hmm. And he got to know that he made a big difference. And we got to know that her son is freaking hot. Ex- extremely. <sighs> Liz is fanning herself. It's it was, a good, it was it was great. good story. It's rough and it's horrible. Yeah. And I hope it's not as common as Robert Stack says. God, God. But it's nice to know that when the system completely fucking fails this one guy was willing to do the right thing i love these last laughs i mean her horror i mean her story is horrendous and it would be better if that had just never happened but what a fucking happy ending but that guy's a hero he's a hero and i salute him yes as do i mm-hmm. i salute her hot son as well <laughs> well yeah okay we have another mystery in this episode this is an unexplained death this is wild. This one, yeah, this is a wild story. So this is the murder of Beverly McGowan. In early July 1990, 34-year-old bank clerk Beverly McGowan began advertising for a roommate to live with her in her Pompano Beach condo. Mm-hmm. I definitely pronounced that wrong. She soon found a potential candidate, a British woman named Alice. She, Alice drove a nice car and appeared to be a successful career woman. They also shared an interest in the New Age movement, particularly numerology. I f- every time Robert Stack talks about something New Age, he calls the New Age movement. <laughs> I'm not, is there really, like, a movement? I'm, 
not sure that's the right way to describe anyway, it, but whatever. it is always... They both were interested in numerology, yep. something that Alice immediately took advantage of. Yeah. Alice agreed to do a chart for Beverly using numbers from her personal life. She asked for her passport number and birth certificate information, which... Liz, is, is that something you typically give at your... Uh, your I don't even think... Uh, your birth, your birth certificate and your uh, passport. I don't number? even know where my birth certificate is. And Did you throw in your social security number. While yeah, while they're in? yeah, that tells you a lot about your. It chart. reminds me of that joke on um, the Wild Wild Country parody <laughs> where he's where the cult leader's like, "You have to leave your family members behind. If you could put their their banking information <laughs> into this basket." <laughs> So apparently she, she did a, a, like a chart with her using like her birthday and whatever, and then came back and was like, I need more information. I need more numbers. I need your passport number. I need your passport number, your social security number, your banking route number. <laughs> After the chart was completed, Alice told her that she would find true romance and accumulate great wealth. However, she also claimed that a man and woman that were close to her would deceive and hurt her. Which, was that supposed to be her brother and sister? On July 17th, a few days after Alice moved in, Beverly vanished. On July 19th, several of her family and friends received letters from her claiming that she had sold her condo and was planning to start a new life. Her loved ones, however, were suspicious. Um, I just want to say on the record right now that I'm never going to send a letter like this. No. So if you get a letter from me that's like, Hello, dearest brother. I've decided <laughs> to sell my home and all of my belongings and walk into the woods. Start it. No. It's not happening. I want my shit. It's not being sold until there's a great estate sale after my death. I could this never not, leave my dogs. This is, yeah, this is just flat out not happening. No. No. Her siblings, Steve and Jane, went to her condo to investigate. Her car was gone, her phone was disconnected, and she had not been seen at work for two days. Her nightgown was on her bed, which had also not been made. They said it looked like she just walked out. Hmm. To Beverly's siblings, it appeared that she had just left and had planned to come back. After, Other than her car, the only things missing were her two cats, uh, a dress book, birth certificate, and passport. They later learned that she had sent a telegram to her mortgage company authorizing them to foreclose on her condo and dispose of her personal belongings. Okay. Which is very strange. Wouldn't the bank be like, what? Please foreclose on my house. Please throw all of my crap in a dumpster. (laughs) No one will want any of it. Thank you. Farewell. Thank you, bank. On the same day that Beverly's family and friends received letters from her, her mutilated body was found. I'm still just imagining this letter. Dear bank, (laughs) please foreclose on my house. I have no need of worldly possessions. I'm moving to a higher plane. Please rent two dumpsters. And they're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) We don't do any of these things. It's a handwritten. It's just like, please throw all my stuff in a dumpster. Yeah. Very, very bizarre. Oh, Alice. So, um, Beverly had been dumped in a remote canal in St. Lucie County, Florida, 100 miles from her home. Her killer had slit her throat, removed a portion of her head and hands, Uh. and cut a tattoo off her abdomen to delay identification. However, they didn't realize that she had another tattoo. This was a yellow rose and it was on her ankle. Along with the tattoo, dental records positively identified the body as that of Beverly McGowan. This is disgusting and terrible. 
but also a reason to get secret tattoos yeah. that very few people know about. That's true. Hmm. Consider, Something to consider. Consider getting a secret tattoo. Police were confused by the letters that Beverly had sent to her family and friends. Yeah, because they're fucking bullshit. That's why. They were written in her handwriting, and there appeared to be no evidence that she was forced to write them, but how would they possibly know that? Police immediately... Also, I don't... Sometimes... I, yeah, do I feel like I would recognize my brother's handwriting? I do. But would I necessarily recognize someone faking my brother's handwriting? No. Probably not. So, I don't know that that's really evidence. Police immediately became suspicious of Alice, who had been seen... (laughs) Really? The mysterious stranger that had moved in only a couple days earlier? And had been seen using Beverly's credit card after her murder. I have, like, the ugliest shop you've ever seen in your life. It was bad. Ugh. Yep. It was pretty bad. Also, Alice in the reenactment has this, like, like, um, Dolly Parton hair... Yeah, it's that like was, a really bad this wig. This is like the episode of big hair. It's true. Everyone has big hair. So she also apparently used uh, Beverly's identity to escape to England. After Beverly's murder, a man posing as her also used her credit card to reserve a rental car at London's Heathrow Airport. He later picked it up there using her name. I like that they kept pointing out that it was a guy just wearing a cheap Cleopatra wig <laughs> from like the Halloween store. It they was like extremely em- obvious. They kept emphasizing the cheapness of the wig. <laughs> Yeah, it was extremely obvious. That this, this was, was just clearly a person in disguise. Someone in disguise. That wig was not even combed. Yeah. <laughs> the two suspects have yet to be identified, and the case remains unsolved. So the woman known as Alice is the prime suspect. Um, she was believed to be. So um, she was staying in the United States, working for IBM in South Florida. She had told Beverly that she was working at their Fort Lauderdale office. However, IBM stated that they did not have one there or had anyone from England working for them. IBM have a Fort Lauderdale office. (laughs) I feel like she just was like, oh, American company, American company. IBM. They're huge. Yeah. It's probably them. And I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) She couldn't even be bothered to figure out where they would actually have a company. All right. Uh, Some people are not meant for a life of crime. So this has not been solved. In December 1996, after rechecking the British Airways Flight 292 passenger list, authorities discovered that, quote, Alice had used the name Sylvia Ann Hodgkinson to purchase her tickets. Through this name, authorities were able to identify her as con artist Elaine Parent. She had previously been acquainted with Hodgkinson um, and had stolen her identity. In May 1991, she was arrested while holding identification for both Hodgkinson and another woman. However, she was released without charge. Forensic evidence in Beverly's car and handwriting on a tablet in her condo was also linked to Elaine. Over the years, she became known as the Chameleon Killer, as she had stolen more than 20 identities. However, because of this, she was able to elude capture for over a decade. In April 2002, police finally caught up with Elaine with the help of an anonymous tip from America's Most Wanted, or an American, an, an American's Most... Oh, I can't speak. An anonymous tip from an America's Most Wanted viewer. At the time, she was living under the name Darlene Thompson in an apartment in Panama City. After detectives arrived, they allowed her to change clothes. During this time, however, she took her own life with a um, by shooting herself in the head. Uh, 
Although Elaine's death might bring a sense of closure to Beverly's family, it left much of the secrets of her bizarre lifestyle and criminal criminal career unanswered. Also, some suspect that she may be responsible for other murders that she had yet to be connected to. Right. Um... As for Sam, who was the person in the wig, he was never identified. However, some believe that he may have actually been Elaine. One source states that Elaine wearing a black wig picked up the car at Heathrow Airport. The black wig was previously believed to have been worn by this person named, quote, Sam. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. she was apparently a, a con woman who may have killed other people. Uh, yeah, and Beverly had so much going for her, it's really a shame that... The segment ends with a lot of people being like, I don't understand this crime. It's extremely complicated, and they only got $1,000. Yeah. And Robert Stack literally at one point just goes, why? And it's a really good question. Yeah. Because they could have just robbed her. Yeah. They did not need to murder her and leave her in a canal and, like, do all this. Cut her up. and It's so bizarre. It's extremely strange. It's really over the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she didn't need to, like answer her roommate ad and move into her house and do the whole whole chart thing like i don't know i guess they just wanted her passport information but i guess that's what they used to probably flee the country but but for a thousand dollars for a thousand dollars that's so much work at that point just get a job (laughs) (laughs) channel that energy into something more productive yeah ugh really that's an awful one yeah i can't believe i haven't heard of that before pretty bad i did draw a mustache from it but oh is that the very small like mustache i called it the dullard yeah it's just kind of boring so i have one more really needed to let that mustache extend a little bit farther to the sides it looked very awkward there's really no spectacular mustaches in this episode so you can pick between that one and one in this last one which one is your favorite but both of them are pretty generic so, this is a wanted, this is our last mystery for this episode, and it's from 1985 in San Francisco. It's the case of Sally Garrity, um, who was unlucky in love. Yeah. Very unlucky. Yeah. Um, so, her and her sister Sherry were raised by their aunt Lydia, and um, Sally was a bookkeeper and also made money selling Native American crafts. Um, she was a member of her tribe, and that's a little bit plays into this mystery um in february of 1985 she met a young man named sal guardardo at a neighborhood bar um they show the reenactment is like they bump into each other playing pool and he's like oh my name's sal and she's like oh my name's sally that's so great what i remember most from this this segment is robert stack saying as many people do she found love in a local dive bar or something like that and i was like, like Really? This is a, yeah, storybook romance, Robert Stack. <laughs> she, yeah, I wrote down that she thought she had met, quote, Mr. Wright, mm-hmm. which was a phrase we used a lot in the 90s that I don't really hear anymore. <laughs> maybe because men are trash. Well, maybe. Nope. Send them to the moon. And people are no longer holding out for a quote unquote Mr. Wright. Um, she was really impressed that he had a car and a part time job at a pizzeria. There's nothing wrong with having a part-time job at a pizzeria, but I don't know that that should be so impressive. Yeah. It sounds like her standards were a little too low. Yeah, the bar is on the ground. We've, yeah. we've, we've talked about yeah. this before. So, within a week, he had proposed and taken out a loan for a ring. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you what to do, but if you've known someone for a week... I, like, I get it. Life is short. You're in love. You want to get married. But you could just 
not be married. You could also not be married. You could also, I don't know. If you're going to get married that quickly, for sure have an exit plan. Mm-hmm. That's going to be my advice. Yeah. If you want to, yeah, I don't know, have this whirlwind romance, just make sure you can, like, walk away if you need to. That's great advice. Because yikes. Because yikes. <laughs> uh, he quickly lost his car and his job, and they had to move in with her Aunt Lydia. At which point, he quickly showed his true colors. He mm-hmm. just wanted to sit on the couch and watch TV and yell at her and her aunt all day and then well, go at that bowling. Point, he had got her, right? She's Now she's trapped in a marriage to him. Yeah. So he no longer needs to try and keep a job. He no longer needs he's to not try and pay to, for his car. He's not trying to charm her. So he yeah. immediately stopped all this shit. By the way, it's been like three weeks. I know. It's gone from this like whirlwind romance of the perfect man to this guy just like barking orders at her while he's guzzling beer on the couch such such a short period of time so at some point he goes with her and her sister to a native american festival that was 30 miles away from san francisco and at that point her sister is like whoa this is a huge change from when we saw him at the pizza parlor and she was like all starry-eyed and was like isn't he amazing and now she's just like oh i'm so sick it's been like a couple weeks <laughs> and she's already the honeymoon like period usually lasts a little longer and she's already not like, a good sign oh this guy he's the worst <laughs> not a good sign and then at the end of the festival he like weirdly demands that he gets to borrow the van that sherry has and she's like, yeah, I'm borrowing this from someone. Yeah, it was like her works van or something. Yeah, was, she was like... It was not hers to lend out. I was like, I, you can't borrow it. And he's like, I don't want to take the train back to San Francisco. And he, like, threw this big fit about how he should get to take the van and was like, no, I'm taking it. <laughs> like, what is she going to drive? Like, And eventually, Sally is like, no, we're leaving. Yeah. You're ridiculous. But at this point, I think it's like, just, it's clear it's over. Yeah. It's just, how is it going to end? And the answer is very, very badly. Yeah, unfortunately. So they're fighting at home because Sally gets a ride home from someone and Sal becomes convinced she's having an affair, which, like, not good. She should because this guy's terrible, <laughs> but also what's happening. Not. Yeah. He's just a control freak. So he's, like, screaming at her for. I'm probably, like, not wanting to walk home from her job, which, mm-hmm. understandable. And at this point, Aunt Lydia comes home, and it's, like, super awkward, because they're clearly fighting. And then Sal goes, hey, uh, I need you to go to the store. So I need, I need Aunt you Lydia to- is the nicest person on the planet. Yeah. He was like, I need cigarettes, and I need them now. And I would have been like, get your fucking own damn cigarettes, and also get out of my house. But she was like, okay, because she's she's trying to keep a peace you know she's trying to be a good aunt so she goes to the store she gets the cigarettes she comes back she's like i have your cigarettes but he's nowhere to be found no one says anything so she was like all right well it's time for the news i'm just gonna like sit down and watch the news so she's sitting on the couch she's kind of dozing she hears the door like squeak open and realizes oh someone might be home but whatever i'm just gonna keep watching the news and then it's sal comes up tries to strangle her yeah uncalled for sal and then is hitting her on the head with a bowling ball this is horrible because he's the worst man in the he world he hits her in the face with a bowling ball the, uh, the sweet old woman yeah so he's the worst he's the absolute worst so when she wakes up because she's knocked out by her head injury 
and calls the police. It turns out that Sally is already dead and that she was strangled with either a leash or a telephone line. She was probably murdered while Lydia was out getting cigarettes because Sal like, was like purposely getting her out of the house in order like to that was his plan. kill her niece. Um, so, that's so sad. Yeah, it's terrible. And unfortunately, this is not solved. Yeah. This guy got away with it. Everything's awful. And at one point, her sister uses the phrase put to justice, that she hopes he can be found and put to justice, which I think she was going to say put to death, but then like... Thought better of it. Yeah. But I like the idea of saying that someone should be put, <laughs> put to, to justice. justice. Look, we don't know what happened to this guy. Maybe Robert he fell in a Stack hole. speculates he could be in Miami, Mexico, Hawaii, or Puerto Rico. And I was just like, so anywhere. Literally anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, this Herod in 92. His birthday is is 51. He could still be alive. All right. So let's try to find this guy. He's 5'10". <laughs> he weighed 210 pounds. He had brown hair, black eyes, and a tattoo of a heart with an arrow and the name Rachel on his upper right arm. So if you see this guy... If you see this guy, please turn him in because he's trash garbage and I hate him. He hit an old lady with a bowling ball. He strangled and killed his wife. Yeah, Sally seemed incredibly sweet and optimistic and like a lovely person. She didn't need this shit. She didn't deserve any of this. Sally's garbage. If you are lit... For some reason, know a murderer and are listening to this podcast, today's the day. You're turning him in. He needs to be put to justice. He needs to be put to justice. That yes. is the end of that. So that, ugh. Bummer. bummer. A bummer note on, for the, the end of this episode. Okay, let's read this episode. All right, mysteriousness. Hmm. Um, I mean, I guess we have two the bummer things. No one knows who that person was. No one knows what happens to Sal. And the chameleon story is actually still pretty mysterious, even though we know who did it. It's... We, Why? They, they found what? her, but they didn't get to talk to her. There's no answer. They went to there. her. She she killed herself while they before they could even get her to the police station. So there's a lot of mystery there. The but only th- one that's not mysterious is the lost love. Um, I mean, I hope her stepfather like went missing and was never found. But other than that, not a lot of mystery. No, I would say thumbs up though. Yeah, high on the mystery factor. I think so too. Reenactments. Pretty good. I thought all oh, the bomb, the explosions um, were pretty good. Reenactments were good. The attention to detail was great. The paper, the yeah. Um, I don't know that any of the other ones stood out to me, but I would still say they were good. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh fashion. I mean, if you like big hair, this is the one for you. Whew. That televangelist daughter perm. That whole family had the biggest hair I've ever yeah. seen. The- and then Alice had a, a yeah a weird bouffant wig. Yep. So the Cleopatra wig, you get to see a, funny. a terrible wig. You get to see press on nails. I mean, solid. Yeah, you get to see actually a lot. Bev had a lot of great outfits. Mm-hmm. She had some flamingo earrings. We see oh, in a I picture. Re- I knew you'd like the flamingo earrings. Love yeah, them. I think it's a thumbs up for sure. Yes, and Robert Stack. I mean, he was fine. He was fine. He was wondering why. I think his question, why? Why do this chameleon killer? It was a valid, good question. Valid. This is valid. But the question we should be asking is why? <laughs> why? Why on earth do this? Do anything else? <laughs> yeah, so thumbs up for Robert Stack. Alice, can you just sell drugs like a normal person? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm Wait. sure you could get a thousand. That's probably a more steady income. Yeah, and you don't have to kill anyone and yeah. take off part of their jaw and their tattoo and leave them in a canal. Ugh, Alice. Awful. Awful. Alright, well, how do you rate this episode? I really like The Lost Love. I love a story, a heartwarming story. Lost Loves are my favorite. 
You get some. You get some. I hated having to talk about a televangelist, so there's that. But it was interesting because I'd never heard of the case before. Yeah, I think this is good variety. I think these are interesting cases that could actually use some more attention. Um, I would love it if we get an update in a few weeks that Sal was caught somehow. Oh. That would be amazing. So I'd say three point five. I'm I'm right there with you. Three, 3. and a half stars. Three and a half stars. Yeah, three and a smidge stars. Mm-hmm. It's, it was it's solid. pretty solid. It was solid. I was happy we got a good last love in this one. Um, the, the, Yeah, the killings are kind of brutal. Yeah, but they were. We could use, um, like, a ghost or something. Yeah, maybe next time we'll get a ghost. Yeah. I'd like that. Fingers crossed for a ghost, everybody. Cross your fingers. All right, what do you have to recommend? Ooh, I'm excited about my recommendation. Okay. I have a TV recommendation. You're going to need Hulu for this one. Okay. This is a Hulu exclusive. But if you have that service or you can borrow someone's password, I would highly recommend watching the show Pen15, mm. which I've been watching. Someone recommended it to me a while ago and was like, you're going to love this. And I don't know why, but I just didn't get around to watching it until now. It's so good. I love it. And it's not really like anything else we've recommended previously on the show. It's about like being a middle schooler in the year 2000. Okay. And interestingly the two main characters are like playing themselves as kids even though they're in their 30s it sounds dumb but it somehow works and it's actually like amazing and so it's just about them and their friendship and like the awkward experience of being in the seventh grade which is really the most like Oh, the awkward, traumatic time. The most awkward time. This shows attention to detail of this era of the, like, transitioning from an analog to a digital world mm. is so... It's such a fucking time capsule. It's unbelievable to me. It captures that so well. It captures the awkwardness of this age and having, like, no idea what you're doing and trying to seem cool but not being cool and yeah i relate to it so hard it's sometimes hard to watch (laughs) because it really does stir up these things from like my youth yeah where it's like oh fuck like i totally forgot what that was like and that's it like you wow i i love it is it hulu original yes cool um i'm it's i can see how this is like kind of niche so i'm guessing they like you know, I couldn't see this being on, like, a big network. Sure. I can't really think of another show to compare it to. I guess if you liked Freaks and Geeks, maybe you would like this. But it's mm. a little more fanciful. And also, you get um, one of the main characters, Maya, is Asian-American. So you get that experience, too, which I think is really cool. And how yeah. that's, like, adding to the awkwardness, like, not being accepted at her school. And, sure. Um... Oh, it's, I'm, I'm not done with it yet. I've watched maybe like eight episodes and I love it. And I know I'm going to be, if that's all that there is, I'm going to be so sad when it's done. It's so good. That's a solid recommendation. I don't watch Hulu as much as I should, I have to say. Only like if we need to watch something for the the podcast that's on Hulu, I'll turn to it. But I very rarely like peruse their offerings. No. Several times I have said to Mac, like, we should just cancel this. Right. I never watch it. And then Mac's been like, oh, I watched whatever on it. And I've been like, okay. Yeah, I think we only keep Hulu for, because I need it for the podcast from time to time. Yeah, it's, but I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's more on there that I should be paying attention to. That's a great recommendation. I'm also recommending something that is on TV, and this is a documentary that's on Netflix that I meant to recommend a long time ago, but forgot. Sure. This is a documentary that 
my husband and I stumbled upon. It's called The Last Breath. And oh. I think it's a British documentary. Um, uh, yes, I think it is. So this is the tr- the real life story of a saturation diver, which is something I wasn't super familiar with. I have no idea what that is. Before I watched this, my husband likes to watch docu- like Nova documentaries and educational documentaries about things like this from time to time. So he had watched some different documentaries about saturation diving, and that's why he chose this. It's where, and I'll probably get some of this wrong, so thank God he doesn't listen. Um, these <laughs> underwater oil rigs have to be, like, maintained and okay. partially operated by people who are sure. on, like, the f- seafloor. They have to go down there and dive and Sounds do like various tasks. But if you just plucked someone from the surface and put them down there, they die from, like, the pressure or whatever. So they put them in these, like little capsule things i'm not sure what they're called um where they like slowly over time acclimate them to that pressure i think and then you can go down there and live down there and then they bring them back up and you slowly acclimate to like the surface i don't know that's wild it's also crazy i think it's i'm not sure if it's cost but they they breathe helium instead of oxygen and so they talk with like the helium voice while they're down there i'm not sure why it might be cost it might be helium is better down there i don't know what the, the deal is i don't know a lot about this um we went into this blind. We had no idea what it was even about. Uh, turns out it's about this incident that happened. I don't want to give too much away because you you need no you shouldn't be spoiled on this at all. It, it's a wild story, but something happens while this team is underwater, and some wild shit happens that like we were stunned when we watched it. So okay. I can't really give you more information no, because I don't, I don't think, want to I don't like think you should. spoil anything, but some calamity happens, there's a rescue, and that's it. Huh. I am intrigued. Yeah. I think that's a good teaser. And it's one of those things, very rarely I feel like do you just like randomly stumble onto something that's really good. And I've heard no one talk about this documentary before. What's it called again? It's called Last Breath. Okay. You will be amazed. It's and also it's just something that I didn't really know was a thing. These yeah, people live. I never really thought about. They that. live in this tiny little bubble. It's very small on the ocean ocean floor. Apparently, they get make so much money because no one wants to do this. Yeah, why would why you? Why would you? There's only like a handful of people on Earth that are willing and trained to do this. So they make a ton of money in a very short period of time because they can only stay down there for I don't even know how long. Sure, a couple months, maybe a couple weeks. I'm not sure. Um. So in that short period of time, they make a bunch of money because they're like one of 12 people or something. I don't know. I'm making that up. Should we become a saturation diet? Absolutely not. You would be, you definitely cannot have claustrophobia to do this. No, thanks. Like, and then their shifts are like 12 hours, like diving, right? Like on the seafloor, fixing shit. I don't even know what you're doing out there, but you're swimming around. You know, doing this with a wrench. And then you go back into this tiny little bubble and you live with, like, four other yeah, dudes. kill me now. No, yeah. thank you. Also, um, you're constantly watched the entire time because there's people in, like, the rig on the surface, or, like, there's a boat, a ship, a ship, definitely a ship, not a boat, um, on the surface that are, like, have to constantly monitor your vital signs. So, like, you have to take a shit, like, I'm pretty sure someone's watching you. Oh, they're like, God, yeah. Joe's masturbating again. <laughs> there must be some unwritten rules that is, like, no masturbation, like... Look at his vitals go. I know what that means. <laughs> he co- he covered up the camera again. I'm sure that's not allowed. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, that sounds terrible. It was interesting. And it was one of those things where sometimes my husband picks these things to watch and it's like, okay, I don't want to watch another thing about like a tunnel being built. Yeah, like, I know he watches dumb. like a lot of things about bridges and yeah, stuff, right? Well, yeah. That seems really boring. Big, he likes to watch things about big engineering projects. So I was like, oh, one of these again. But it was actually really interesting. Hmm. And the story is wild. All right. So you know, if you're hmm. looking for something to watch. Huh. huh. I think that's a wrap I on think this so. episode. Should we plug our shit? Yeah. Uh, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. Oh, yeah. If you want to email us a paranormal tale, something that's happened to you that's spooky or mysterious or otherwise Mm -hmm. unexplained, Mm -hmm. perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. There's also a form on our website, perhaps it's you.com. Um, yeah. Patreon. Give us some money uh, if you want. You should. I mean, we're pretty cool. We're not going to ask for your passport number in in exchange for Mm -hmm. a chart. So and there's if you something. give us $1, you get a ton of shit. So it's a pretty good deal. You get a bonus episode every month for one, and we'll send you a postcard. Yeah. So it's a yeah. great bargain. And this month's special episode is going to be about the X-Files. We're about to record it right now. Which I think everybody has been waiting for this whole time. So Liz has, for sure. Samantha's like, not me. And I was like, I didn't mean you. <laughs> I meant the mystery solvers, Samantha. The, my- the mystery solvers. Yeah, um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. I feel like we're supposed to say some one more thing, but give us a five star review. Oh yeah, an iTunes uh, Apple Podcast. We need it. Also, They're our life force. We're trying to get to a thousand. I saw we're trying to get to a thousand followers on on uh, Twitter. No, I want nine. I want nine hundred ninety nine followers by October because it's like six six six, but better. It's what Satan wants. So follow us on Twitter. Perhaps it's you. if you're not on Twitter, go make a Twitter account. And yeah, follow us. I don't care. I don't care. It can be yeah. a sock account. Whatever. We can be the one account you follow. That's fine. Yeah, we'd be honored. Yeah, nine nine nine. Let's do it. Follow us, and I've pet that dog. Yeah, there you go. That's all you really need. We've already improved your life significantly. Yeah, you're welcome. So bye. <laughs>